Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore... It's another episode, and today's episode is smashing. Uh, I got to sit down uh, whilst in lockdown uh, over the means of the internet. Uh, I sat down with Jamie Reynolds, formerly of the Claxons uh, and songwriter extraordinaire. Um, we talk about the whole journey. We talk about school. We talk about indie clubs, uh, some bizarre moments that we had in common uh, in, our, in our own little journeys, um, and yeah, and then obviously we talk about um, the, 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 how quickly the, the, the klaxons exploded onto the scene and, and what an impact they made. Um, and then we discuss all the things that Jamie's been doing uh, as a songwriter since. And it's a smashing chat. It was an absolute delight to, to sit and talk to. And I can't wait for you guys to, to hear it. Um, before we get on with the chat, I just want to say um, a big thank you to 76 for producing this. Um, thank you to Scroobius Pip and everybody over at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, if this is your first time listening to Off The Beaten Track um, and you enjoy it, then um, I would suggest that you have a look in the, the back catalogue because there's um, about 140 episodes with all your favourite um, musicians, producers, actors, comedians, creatives, right? Um, so go and have a, a rummage around in the vaults. Um, and if that's not enough, then I do have a Patreon page um, and you can support the podcast over there. Um, there's If you, you, you become a Patreon over there, then you've got access to over 100 episodes uh, never released to the masses um, over there. Um, and yeah, I think that's it with the, the sales pitch thing. I mean, everything you need to know um, about Off The Beaten Track, you can find out um, at offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. Um, and one last thing, the best thing you can do is just subscribe. If you subscribe, then you have to think about it. Each week, all of a sudden, another cracking little episode of this podcast just um, turns up on your listening device. All right, that's enough from me. It gives me great pleasure now to say, please enjoy it off the beaten track podcast with Jamie Reynolds. Listen up. I've only got another new sponsor, Egg Fried. It's this super cool clothing label. And if you're into sort of skating and street art and gigging and, and kind of like really cool art and throwing a little bit of Asian culture and, and the designer's kind of weird sense of humor in the mix, then you're pretty much there with the wonderful world that is eggfried.com. Now, they do these amazing punchy kind of graphic tees, hoodies and sweatshirts, beautiful art prints, as well as this, they have a denim range, all handmade in-house, all supporting the slow fashion movement. 
Not only that, they've given you a discount code, 10% off when you head over to eggfried.com. Just use the code EGGSALAD, E-W-G-S-A-L-A-D. Save 10%. Go and get lost in the world of egg fried. Also, they've got a new kids range, and it's called Small Fried, and it's super cool, super cute. Um, And again, it's all over there in this wonderful world. Go and get involved at eggfried.com. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast. And joining me today is Jamie Reynolds. Hello. Yeah, hi mate. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Stu. This is great. Oh mate, thank you. We've we've um we've just had a quick chat and we've we've both been involved in Boogaloo Radio previously, but we've never met. So uh yes. it's always quite strange meeting people for the first time via uh, a screen. It's uh Yeah, you know. exactly. definitely in the new world. But, but I mean, you know, the more it's gone on, the more I'm used to it. So all of a sudden, you know, sort of ready for the twenty first century. Well that's that, that's that's kind of really what I'd like to sort of start with, really. Like how have you found it um you know, isolation as as both a human being and a creative? Yeah, thank you. Um well, I'm in, I don't know, I'm, I'm like approaching week 12 or maybe even week 13. I went quite early. I sort of noticed about two weeks before yeah. lockdown what was going on and, and being quite a sort of, I don't know, a person who's really sort of into the media, etc. I sort of noticed it and realised that there was something going on and at work, um, they were talking about closing down the offices and um, the record labels. And I just saw it coming so quite quickly, I sort of put myself uh, at home. Um, so I've been indoors. So I was indoors for quite a bit, and that first like two or three weeks is quite horrible, to be honest with you. Um, a lot of fear on my part, um, a lot of reading the media, a lot of fear and worry, basically. And I sort of drove myself to being quite upset about the entire thing. And then I think I got to about week three, and I made the sensible decision to stop sort of following the media and stop reading Twitter, and because like, I'm, I'm addicted to Twitter, I'm just like, give me the information, give me the information, and. Um, about week three, I just decided that that wasn't doing me any favours whatsoever, and I stopped reading it, and I think that's the best thing I could have possibly done for myself. Um, and then slowly as a creative, like, and then at that point, I just sort of, like, started feeling better, um, reaching out. I mean, I was talking to um, a lot of friends and family. I feel very connected at this point in time as well, even though isolation is, you know, I'm on my own at home here with my dog. Um but I feel very connected to my friends and very connected to my family. And uh, so the phone has helped with that, and that's been excellent. And then in about week three, I decided, okay, cool, maybe I'm ready to like start working again. And um, some people reached out to me, and I started helping them with a, uh, this woman, this great woman called Selena Giles, um, wrote, had written these incredible words, and she asked me to put some music to it. So I started making something for the first time in a while. And um, that felt really good to sort of kickstart creativity again. Um, and that was really the Kickstarter. And then since like sort of week four and five, I've got to be honest with you, I've been having an awesome time. Like I feel quite, um, it's a strange thing because I'm very aware of the sort of bigger picture and so incredibly grateful for all the, all the incredible work that people are doing for people in trouble. Um, but on a personal level, I'm actually having an awesome time right now. Um, yeah, you know, I've been very creative. I've been, I've been, I sort of gone back to the studio. I've been doing a lot of work very connected to people um out in the sunshine with my dog and living a very sort of like happy low-key hard-working but fun lifestyle that i've like really gotten into to be honest i think what you touched on earlier about sort of switching off 
the news channels uh, and, and and them kind of media feeds. Uh, I think that's really important. I think that's that's that was exactly what you done is, is what I done at first. I, I was just consuming so much information and 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 so much of it was was scaring me and and I was just thinking oh you know then there was a conspiracy theory side of things in me just thinking no this can't be and it was so many mixed messages were coming through and and I think once I realized well ultimately there's nothing I can do about this other than sit tight so I might as well stop watching that and get back to you know doing things that are good for my head which is what we're doing now things like this like creating stuff and and just you know getting on with with business as usual but just in a different environment I think so many of us probably had them knee-jerk reactions as soon as it happened and then you start to adjust and and then work out what what works for you I think yeah I mean that, that definitely sounds like the most sort of sensible sensible way to go about it I mean, and I, I just like it helped my mental health no end you know I it was just I was just incredibly sort of um sort of the video he's still there yeah, yeah 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 cool um um yeah I, I just think it's sensible like people like my friends who are very sort of smart people who are very media digesting people as well we just without talking to each other we all came to the conclusion that for our own mental health the best thing to do was just to sort of you know live our best lives for ourselves you know yeah. not the bigger feel that the bigger picture um will sort itself out in time we'd had i felt like i'd had all the information that i needed to digest and to know what how i was going to go about my life in this new world and yeah and, and once i'd come to that conclusion of what that was and how i was going to navigate with all of this going on then then i've quite sort of happily gone about my business and i I'm, yeah it's been the best thing i've ever done for myself i think it's uh, just sort of level of acceptance you know and that there's nothing you can do about it got to sort of ride the wave if it were you know sort of ride it out and um yeah yeah feels 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 like it's definitely the right decision and right now everything's cool i know it's obviously not the bigger picture but on a personal level it's cool wonderful well let's start your um your playlist so uh jamie uh for track one i'm going to ask you what the song is with the greatest ever intro yeah thank you i mean um so for what's the greatest ever intro my answer to this question would probably change on a weekly basis obviously we all know that we all know that you know like the the greatest is amazing that always like and we're doing a lot of work recently where like you write something down one week and then you look back at it the next week and like what's i thinking that's not what was going on so like it changes all the time but um it was a really brilliant question to ask me at a time when I was thinking about the song that I've chosen. Um, I was out on my bike. Um, I've got like a, a phone holder strapped to the, the front handlebars and I sort of drive around, listen to me, ride, ride around my bike, listen to music. And it's a really nice time. And um, this song, uh, Brother's Gonna Work It Out by Willie Hutch came up and um, it's got, I don't know how long it is, but it's got this brilliant spoken word intro. Um, and I just thought to myself that it it, it, it was uh, it's absolutely brilliant the way it sort of sums up uh, the way of thinking about I don't know I, th- I thought it sort of related to business in a way it sort of like quite related to what was going on right now um, and um, yeah it's just super enjoyable and and the track is it's phenomenal and for today I'm going to say it's the greatest intro ever. Wonderful. Well, um, Jamie, I, I always ask um, musicians this question, um, and it's. And, and it's just to kind of ask regarding intros when Ooh. when you you know in, in the early days of, of of the klaxons when there was lots of um expectation and media attention um Ooh. 
would how was you approaching writing intros then to how you would write an intro now and also um, taking into account the way that people listen to music as well now totally um i think i i might be completely wrong about this but i'm not sure that i've ever written one um <laughs> <laughs> someone's like listen to my back catalog you know there's one there mate. but um but I, I've sort of come from the uh, sort of Bill Drummond, KLF way of thinking um, from like the How to Have a Number One, The Easy Way book, which I read uh, in the weeks leading up to when we first wrote the Cranston's debut record. Um, That's an interesting that, book to read just oh, before you release your first album. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm so grateful. I got a, uh, I got a, I got a mention in the, um, in the Chaos book, the yellow one that came out recently. Wow. I, I was mentioned as the person that put the theory into practice. And I didn't have a number one, which is really annoying, but I did have number two. So it works. Um, but yeah, so, 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 and that thinking is, is um, sort of what he would call um, the golden rules. And, and actually, actually and it's, not, it's not true to say that there isn't an intro because the intro with that in mind is, is sometimes um, you take the chorus and you make the melody of the chorus instrumentally um, before the first verse comes in. Yeah. So, so an intro for me is always just sort of like short, sharp. The very When I think of the word intro, like it makes me think, I mean, the Billy Hutch tune, for example, like goes on for sort of a minute and a half. Yeah. Um, but for me, an intro at its most because I'm thinking like pop structures. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I would consider that an only an intro would either be like a couple of bars, and, and, and it's getting shorter and shorter these days as well. So like, um, it, whereas in the past I would maybe do like a full chorus and make it um, melodic with the same melodies that was coming in the chorus. Nowadays it's like I would make it even shorter and songs. I mean, I've written a lot of songs in that sort of two forty bracket anyway, but I, then I got used to the sort of three thirty three minutes 30 bracket but now things are shorter so intros for me are just becoming very quick and and, and sometimes you wouldn't even worry about it you just chuck the chorus right at the front of the song is, is radio a consideration yeah radio drove me absolutely mental i think that like thinking about radio has been the thing that has played on my mind and driven me the most mad for a very long time um i obsessed uh, especially when radio sort of picked up claxons you know and yeah, we were sure. getting that attention and, and we were thinking that i mean we, we already had the first batch and we could see what was going to happen with the first record but then when it came to making a second record I, I, and still now like because i i work as a songwriter now so i help other people write songs and i know that uh, i work with a lot of younger people i mean the main artist that i work with is absolutely brilliant his name daniel briskin and uh, he's 18 years old and he is not thinking about the radio for a second but my brain is so sort of because I've grown up in that environment um, that I just fully I, I need to train myself not to think about it yeah. right? to, 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 to get away from radio because in my head um, radio is the be all and end all that moment of, of, of having worked on something and then having it played on the radio knowing that it's being transmitted to so many people simultaneously is the thing that is like the driving factor in what I do you yeah. know uh, and it's that magical moment that yeah. you get when, when when you write songs. So um, the answer is that yes, it's a like overwhelming consideration, but I would really like to weed myself off of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Track two, the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. Yeah. Thank you. That's a brilliant question. And again, um, 
I would not. Okay, so here we go. I would not have been able to answer this question had it not been for lockdown. And and that's because this the first song I remember having an emotional impact on me. I've been searching for. I'd say pretty much my entire life since I first heard this song, and um, I have not been able to find it. And I, I worked in record shops for years. I'm around songwriters and musicians like all the time. And I ask anybody whether or not they have heard what this song is, and nobody has had the answer for me. And then during during lockdown in week, I don't know whatever it was, I had the bright idea just to Google it and try and find out what it was. Um, and this song was, uh, I think I must have been sort of four years old, or maybe it's around three or four, and um, my mum had bought me a copy of uh, Paul McCartney's Rupert and the Frog Chorus VHS, and so he'd watch like the Rupert Bear video and film, he goes down to the cave and hangs up with the frogs and we all stand together and blah, 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 that kind of like, you know, what people consider like an incentive, like pop song, but then after that finished, there were two songs that came on, both had videos, and they haunted me for a, a, a very long time trying to find out what those two videos were because my earliest memories of watching Rupert and the Frog Chorus and then these two songs coming on afterwards. I've been trying to find out what they were forever. Anyway, um, yeah, I Googled it um, a couple of weeks ago and I've been listening to these two songs uh, pretty much like, most days since. And um, the one that had the emotional uh, like impact on me is because it was so damn weird um, with Linda McCartney's um, Oriental Nightfish. And um, it had a sort of psychedelic video that I'm not sure that it's going to warp a four-year-old's mind. And that was uh, what I first remember seeing as being like uh, music and um, thinking was really, you know, I, must have, I mean, it's weird because I look at it now and I still feel that I write music to fit what in what could be that video. I highly recommend watching the video. Um, it's about as out there as it gets. And um, yeah, it's written by Paul and Linda. And um, yeah, the Oriental Nightfish, it's, it's mind-blowing. And I remember it making me feel very weird then, feel very weird now, and it's just awesome. So what, what, what emotion would that have been, Jamie? It's just <laughs> like oddness. Yeah. Like, you, know? Like, you know, I just remember like having this feeling of like, strangeness like you know like wow what is this stuff called music yeah. you know and like oh here is this it's just um you know i think that you know the, the frog chorus had brought me joy but that wasn't the impact the impact was all what i just dis- i'm discovering something weird here yeah and i think that sort of weirdness is has been a, a thread throughout everything i've ever done since so wh- where, where was home then jamie where was your bomb um, I grew up in um, I grew up in Dorset, um, not too far away from Bournemouth, and um, yeah, there's a little seaside town there in a place called Christchurch, and um, yeah, it's a it's a pleasant place. And the clock in the clock in town says where time is pleasant, and it's like a nice little it's a nice little town just outside of Bournemouth um, on the beach there. And so, uh, aside from your, um, your your frog chorus VHS, was there was there much music on at home growing up? Um, yeah, because my parents um, were publicans and they ran the pub in the centre of Bournemouth. Um, and it's called Criterion. And uh, it was a very busy, open pub in the middle of the town. And there were a lot of people sort of coming and going. There's lots to sort of say about that pub and its history. It's, it's, sadly, it's not there anymore. They've turned it into the top man. But if you go to Bournemouth and you're in town and there's now the top man there, that used to be a pub called Criterion that my parents ran. So did you live there and, as well? Um, yeah, I did. I lived there. I lived there until I was like two, 
Yeah. And then from two, I moved over to this small town um, a bit out of there. Sadly, my parents broke up when I was very young at two. And um, I went with my mother over to this place called Christchurch. And my dad stayed at the Criterion, which closed in 1986, I think. Um, so music was continuously being played in the pub. Um, and, and sort of whatever was going on in sort of 1982 was, uh, you know, I it was being played in the background. So I've had a sort of always having music on in the background. And then, um, yeah, it was quieter over, over, over in Christchurch. But um, yeah, that, that they're always being something on in the background, whether it being played by my family um, or being introduced to it by friends at a very young age. It's, yeah. it's always been a sort of, you know, music's always being there in the background. Okay. So for question three, um, I'm going to ask you the, the song that reminds you of your time at school. Was was school in Christchurch? Yeah, I went to I went to a place called Highcliffe School, um, and Highcliffe is like on the border of, of Dorset and Hampshire. It's like just as you get into Hampshire. Um, and school, I mean, I've been going over this recently. Looking, I've quite I've had quite a reflective um, lockdown as well, sure. and, I've, and I've been going over. Uh, the music of my life so it's quite I'm so grateful that you asked me these questions and popped up at that time where I feel ready that I was like almost ready to answer them because I was, might have been a bit sure. stuck but um, yeah I mean school it's funny where to put it because there was so much music at school as well um, and I can remember music being a big part of my life from around about 1986 like where I was like 1986 and onwards where like I was wanting to have a copy of or being able to listen to that music in my own time um right from uh sort of new kids on the block basically michael jackson new kids on the block um and then um uh beats international i remember being a big big part of my big part of my growing up but but when i think of school like that was the sort of what you call junior school time but when i think of school it's really kind of secondary school um, and that's where things started to get really exciting because I, I started secondary school in 1991. Um, and that would be when I would think about being at school. And that time was just mind blowing because between sort of the whole period was such an exciting time for music. Um, in 1991, the first thing that I, in first year of school, the thing that I remember being really excited about, I mean, I'm just going to name loads of records, but it's not the one I've chosen. I'll tell you the one I've chosen after. But You're um, more than welcome to some honourable mentions, mate. Yeah, some honourable mentions are, are, are big. And, and um, the, the honourable mention will go out to the Prodigy for the Prodigy experience, which was like the big one that we all sort of... We, we used to basically go into Bournemouth on the bus and um, somebody, if you chipped in some money each, you could buy like a, a deck of uh, cassettes where like you'd have 10 cassettes or 20 cassettes or however many it was. One person would buy one album and then you'd all buy a cassette. So if someone bought one, you'd take it home and copy it and then you'd, yeah. all, get a share, you'd all get a copy of it. And um, so... Um, what a genius idea. Why did me and my mates never do that? That's such a sensible thing amazing. to do, isn't it? <laughs> that was what we did, yeah. It was like, so you could have... One person would buy something, then you'd all have blank cassettes and then you'd split it and you'd have a copy of a copy of a copy. Mm. Like, and, the, and the sound quality would be awful, yeah. but you'd have a copy of, of course. it and then you'd have your Walkman. So, like, you know, school basically existed. You'd, have, you'd be having fun with your mates or whatever. And I, I, was a studious, I was a studious kid. Like, I did okay at school. Um, but um, at the same time, my Walkman was on the whole time. And on the Walkman, you'd have two sides of a cassette, 90 minutes, 45 minutes each. And I think my favourite one would have sort of the prodigy experience on one side and then on the flip side, it would have Nirvana, Nevermind. But, but 
neither of those, they're, they're just the honourable mentions because the thing from school really, and I've sort of thrown myself under the bus a bit, like we were pretty naughty at school, you know. Um, I grew up Highcliffe as well, the place where I grew up, it's um, it's on a beach and, um, and it was a surfing town really. And I think at school, it's like after school, we'd all go surfing. And we were sort of, uh, we were into smoking hash at a really young age. And like having a, having a cool time, we'd surf and smoke hash and listen to tunes on, 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 um, on the Walkman. And the song that I've chosen that really reminds me of school uh, for that exact reason was from, from Rat Pack and it's called Searching for My Rizzler. And that was, the, that was the, the banger that I was like, oh yeah, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that I guess pick. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. The stuff that was going on in, in 91, it's, I mean, they were possibly like the first years that, that as, as a club DJ in, in sort of alternative clubs, like it really yeah. exploded. You know, we, we'd, we'd had a touch of it in 89 with, with what was happening in, in sort of Manchester, but that early 90s, and it, and it was it was so interesting to be in, in, in alternative clubs as well and playing, I guess, the English stuff, which would have been Wonder Stuff, Carter, Census, things, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And then also what was coming over from, the states at that point, which would you know was the the, the, the huge kind of wave of, of 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 MTV and I love to call it grunge, but yeah, exactly. But Smashing the Pumpkins, Nirvana, and and Pearl Jam, Jane's Addiction, etc. And and to be playing all of that in a club, 
yet still playing Rat Pack, Out of Space, SL2, you know, and and, and it was, I I think it was a really good point for for, for music crossing over. And and where where is your club? Uh, it's in Essex. It's called it's called the Pink Toothbrush. It's uh, amazing. Is, it's, it, is it still going? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I should be, I should have been there this evening. I've I've, I've been there for 28 years. It's, uh, wow, that's that's so cool. Um, that that's exactly my experience of growing up as well in Bournemouth. They were they were I grew like when I, I started going clubbing at quite a young age. Um, so I'm just trying to like plug my phone in and speak to you at the same time. Um, I started going clubbing at quite a young age. In 1994 was when I started, and there was a place in Bournemouth called the Hot House. And then, and I've then been we'd, there. Go the we'd go to the hot house. We'd go to the Yeah. Yeah, that was where I used to be. I was going there from 1994. Um, and it was that, uh, so on, on the hot house would be on Thursdays and Saturdays. Um, and then on Fridays, we'd go to the Joiners Arms in Southampton. And um, going out to like alternative clubs was like how I grew up. That's what we did from 1994 till I, I moved to London in 1998. Um, and yeah, absolutely. It was that melting pot of there being really exciting UK American plus being able to like drop in the dance tracks at yeah. the time as well. That, that made what, I mean, I, I call it indie disco, but I think yeah. like indie disco is maybe a little bit later, but that environment yeah. of like there being an alternative music club was just like, that was that's where I grew up and it was like the most exciting place in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the other, I did go to a few places in, in, um, in Bournemouth, there was, if I remember right, there was a place called the Old Fire Station. Yeah, yeah, the Old Fire Station is good. I mean, like that was like a little bit after my time. Um, and one uh, place called God, Mr. Smith's. Mr. Smith's was like the first place that I ever went to. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Thank you, mate. That's so nice you remember that. Um, and then I remember going back there in the years to come. Like when I was in a band when I was a kid, like we just wanted to play Mr. Smith's. Like that was like my yeah. station. Um, they really played it actually. We ended up being like the in-house band over the Joiners, but in Southampton. But um, it was really, it was a really healthy place um, for music at that time. Mr. Smith's, um, so amazing. Nobody's mentioned that place to me for a long time. It's, it's, so, it's, I, I played it. It was the only place I ever played in Bournemouth. But, like my band played at Mr. Smith's. <laughs> that's the coolest place. That's, like, that's where everybody wanted to be. That's amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to mention that to my friends later, and that's going to blow their minds. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Mr. But, and, then, and then a bit later there was a place called the Extreme. I don't know if you ever went there. It's on um, on, on Holdenhurst Road. So when the Hot House closed down, um, it, it, it then a place called Extreme opened. There was a DJ there called Keith. I don't know if you ever met that guy. Possibly. And, and there was a DJ called um, Hammy, DJ Hammy, who was the guy that was like we all followed, and and because he played at the Hot House on a was he the guy that I can't remember if he was the guy there on a Thursday or not, but we would follow Hammy because he was in Bournemouth, but then he would DJ in Southampton. And so we then followed him to Southampton. And there was a club in Southampton called um, Thursdays that was on a Wednesday. And, um, yeah, we, we would religiously go there as well. And it was just such an exciting time. It's like, yeah, thinking about those are the best times, like 1994 to 1997 between those clubs in Southampton and Bournemouth. And I guess that was the kind of the, the Britpop explosion around then as well, wasn't it? I guess them, them exactly. years was, was, you know, and, and I guess the... the you know, the prodigy went from being just a, a, a dance band to, to, to bring in the rave to the rock festivals at that point, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I had I had fully given myself in because I, I was like into the rave. So it's so like, like 1991 to 93 to, to 94. Up to 94, I was very into like the grunge and the UK rave thing. And then as soon as... Um, this is what blew my mind like the other day when I was looking back at it, is that... Um, 
in utero and girls and boys by blur came out within months of each other. How fucking mental is that? It's, it is, it, 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 like, I, 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 I don't have words. Like, it, it, the idea, because they seem so worlds apart, and even in my life, like, even my experience of it, and I guess it goes to show how, like, quickly you change as a kid. But one minute, like, in utero was, like, my absolute everything, and the next minute, blur job, girls and boys, and then my life completely changed. And and that from that moment on, I was like Britpop the entire way. Like that, I was I was sold on the whole thing. And um, it, then then it was a very exciting three years for me. Yeah. The, the the day I cut my my long hair off was the day I bought my first Fred Perry. <laughs> exactly. But I, there's a there's a photograph I could show you. Is that like I had curtains, you know, like the long hair, like either side. And then one day I'd gone over to my friend's house. I think um, Supergrass had released Caught by the Fuzz. And my friend was like, here you go, mate. Here's the scissors. And I cut my fringe. And I, from, from the moment I cut my fringe, it was game on. <laughs> <laughs> so, so did you enjoy school? Yeah, school was fun. But school was really good fun. I mean, my friends at school were great. We'd go surfing together. And we, we had a good gang of friends. And, and some of which I, you know, I still speak to to this day. And um, I go home and I still see, see people. And school was really cool. I mean, I feel very lucky to have grown up in a place that was nice and we went surfing and we had freedom and we were naughty and like, it, was, it was fun. Um, and school I enjoyed. I was like fairly academic. I did, I did okay at school. I was good at maths. And I got great and I enjoyed it. What did you um, want to be? Yeah. Say again, sorry. What did you want to be at school? Um, I've just always wanted to be a musician. I mean, I, I remember... Yeah, it just it just clicked. Um, I just yeah, I just always wanted to sort of be in a group. I, I, I did my work experience in a record shop, um, and yeah, I was just completely sold on music. Like that was it. I knew what I wanted to do. Uh, there was no other way. I remember thinking that I was going. What was the? Uh, I can't remember. I remember thinking that I wanted to do something else for a moment, but no, I was very sold on 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 music from a young age, and and and. Um, I, I was in my first band while I was at school um, at 14, so I knew that that was what I wanted to make a success of, you know. And, um, yeah, we, we, did, we did pretty well. My band was called Thermal, and, um, and we, we were like the in-house band at Southampton Joiners, and all the bands that came through at that time, we supported. We, we ended up playing with um, Manson, um, Heavy Stereo, um, this band Fluffy, I'm trying to think of... I, su- I supported Fluffy. No, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. I supported Fluffy at the Y Club in Chelmsford. <laughs> and I'll tell amazing. you what, the night I supported Fluffy, um, the bass player that's no longer in Blondie that was the one that's on Parallel Lines, uh, the guy with the right. big curly hair, he flew over from America to watch Fluffy. And so we was at this <laughs> tiny little venue and we were supporting Fluffy, who we'd kind of heard about because they were all like, really pretty girls, weren't they? Yeah, they were like hot girls in a punk band. Yeah, yeah and, and so we was like super excited to be supporting them, like to be supporting them. And then literally someone went, the dude from Blondie's in the crowd. And so it was like a really like memorable night for me. <laughs> that is so crazy that we both shared that experience. <laughs> <laughs> they came to Southampton to join us and it was like a big, it was like everything that came through there was like, you know, I saw all the indie bands that came through there between 1994 to 1997 and it was such an exciting time. Um, but that night, you know, we got that gig. It was just like, this is going to be amazing. These like hot punk girls. And that's brilliant, man. And we both had that same <laughs> really 
<laughs> okay. Um, for track four, Jamie, uh, the first song you remember buying from a record shop? Yeah. Um, so uh, it's a little bit of a toss-up in my mind which that which which uh, record to go for. And I would often say, because I remember going on my roller skates to the garage to buy a copy of Michael Jackson's band or cassette, um, but that would be because it was from the garage. I prefer your question what was from the record shop, and I'll, I'll answer that one instead. Um, and it, was the, it wasn't exactly a record shop, but there was a John Menzies in the center of Christchurch. Yeah. And um, I went to the John Menzies and I bought a copy of the Stock Aiken Waterman produced Reynolds Girls single because we shared the name. Um, I'd rather Jack, and I'd seen it on TV like the week before. And uh, yeah, there was there was something out with my name in it, and it's like cool girls from Liverpool. I was like, yep, yeah, gotta have that. That's awesome. I mean, and, you've, um, you've 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 won. You, you've completed it, mate. I mean, up until now, I, I love it when musicians come on and are honest and, yeah. and 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 just don't try and be caught cool at this point. And so far, the winner was Russell Lissack with Stiltskin. Um, you've surpassed yeah. it, mate. The Reynolds Respect. Girls, incredible, Reynolds mate. Girls, Jack, get on that. It's, get on that. It's the coolest record. I, I think I've got three copies of it. Like, honestly, like, I don't think being cool like, is important at all. Like, all I want to do is be honest about everything. Like, there's no point. Um, yeah, and honestly, and I still love the record. Like, it's still Cake and a Waterman, you know, who, like, who I fell in love with. And I think that it was them that sort of got me into the whole making pop music. And, um, yeah, uh, two girls from Liverpool dressed in denim, dancing around, you know, who were like, you know, jacking was like a cool thing to be doing, but they yeah. diluted it so much for kids. Yeah. I was like, yeah, this is amazing. Oh, two things re- regarding that. I, um, I-, I love watching, um, Retro Top of the Pops on a Friday night, um, on BBC yeah, yeah. three or four. And they're currently around, um, 88 at the moment. And, uh, the Reynolds girls were on there, um, jacking How- live, um, I mean, it weren't good, mate. It really weren't. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't good. It was fucking terrible. But, yeah, um, but I think that was the the, the they. If you watch anything about Stockhake and the Waterman, they say like that was the kind of turning point where they had the formula. They were they were, and I mean this. They they were Motan, you know. If you you strip it down yeah. to the, the, their structures of pop songs, yeah. yes, some of the sounds have dated terribly, but. They wrote some the songwriting. Um, the songwriting was amazing pop songs. And they said at that yeah. point, they thought they had the, the, the formula sussed. And they're like, we can make anyone a pop star. So they sort of exhausted all the pop yeah. stars. And, and they tested the water with Sonia that they could kind of get someone and just make them a pop star. And they're like, right, yeah. let's go and try and find, you know, the, 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 you know, someone off the street and just make it happen. And that was the Reynolds girls. And they said people kind of saw through it and, like, and was like, right, yeah. hang on a minute. Are they trying to pull the wall over our eyes here? What's going on? And they said that was like literally the turning point for for uh, Stock Aiken and Waterman. I love it. I love it. That's my like introduction to music. It sort of all makes sense. Um, I was very lucky to sit down with Rick Astley recently. How was that? Uh, he gave me, it was. It was right. He sort of like gave me. We, we were both at a wedding together, and um, and someone had really nicely sat me opposite him at the wedding. So I felt like I got this, I was, I was like nervous at first to sort of asking questions about music, but I could tell that someone put me there because they thought that we would get on with each other. Yeah. yeah and I got, I got, a, I was very lucky to get a sort of the ins and outs of the story, his experience, how, what he went through. And I got a sort of, you know, an, an afternoon's worth of mentoring from him. It was absolutely amazing. How um, incredible. 
Because yeah, he, he was yeah. famously the T boy, wasn't he? The, the... Exactly, exactly. He was the T boy. And um, yeah, it, it was that thought when you're saying that they decided to bring anybody through, like he wasn't going to be the pop star, he was the T boy. And yeah, and they brought him through and then and in his career. Like, yeah, it was it was incredible to be able to get that that time with him. And uh, yeah, I became friends with him over there, like not, not long before this lockdown. So very, very happy. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not afraid to say I love Stock Ake the Water. Oh, they've got some cracking pop songs there, mate. Some cracking pop songs. Um, so in we go, I mean, m- most guests have, have said they bought their first tracks from either Menzies or Woolworths uh, uh, yeah. or, or Boots at the time when Boots used to sell records. Um, but um, in, in regards to sort of record shops in, in, you know, maybe sort of a little bit later in life, like how, how important were they for you? Yeah. I mean, record shops have been my life really. Um, I, I, there was a independent record shop in Christchurch called Tracks. Um, and it's no longer there, but that was the place that I would go into on a weekend to go to check out what was going on. Um, I made sure that I became friendly with the person that worked there because I wanted to sort of be able to talk to him about what he thought was cool and what, uh, you know, just know what was coming out and, you know, just say hi, basically. And I was young when I went in there. And then I'm trying to figure this out exactly when it was because my friends in my band don't remember me working there. And then my friend from school doesn't remember what year it was that we did work experience, but it must, so somewhere between, it must have been about 1993. And then I, I was really lucky to, to, they accepted me to do my work experience there when I was younger. So I, I did that um, and got my first taste of, you know, uh, the records come in, you unpack them, you put the, you put the CD in the wallet or the cassette, you take it out so it's not on display. And then looking at everything, alphabetizing it, putting it into the category that it's got to go in and then go and put it out on the shelves and like, helping people discover what it is they're looking for and like being on the shop floor in a record shop um, or being like 13. So I'm very lucky with that. And, and, and then um, I, I'm just which one came first. Yeah. And then, so I'd had that experience working there. And then after um, uni, when I, when I got sort of halfway through uni and didn't finish and then came back to Bournemouth, they'd opened up a um, Borders Books and Music. I don't know if you remember that company yeah. um, in Bournemouth. And then well, I went there, so they were, they were advertising jobs, um, looking for people to work there. And then I went along and it turned out it was the guy that I'd worked with in tracks as my work experience. He was selecting people to work for the job in Bournemouth. So he gave me the job working at Borders Books and Music. And I worked in there doing the, um, the classical music section and yeah. everyone helped with rock and pop, but I did classical. And um, yeah, that was a brilliant, brilliant time. Um, but at the set, actually before that, the record shop that was so important to us was a place called Snoopy's in a place called Boscombe near Bournemouth. And it was a second-hand place and they would buy, sell and exchange. And and as well as like working, I used to work as a uh, dishwasher in a, in a restaurant in town. And as well as the money that we'd get from that, we'd buy records from there and sell records from there and be extra money for beers for us on the weekends. So we'd go in there and get like second-hand records. So like tracks or HMV or wherever we go to in town would be the place we'd get new music, but then to buy older stuff on vinyl, we'd go to this place called Snoopy's, and, and that was our, like, mecca, but that was where yeah. we'd go. And, and there were quite a lot of record shops in Bournemouth, you know? Yeah. Um, but Tracks, and then Borders, and I worked at Borders for a couple of years, and then after Borders, I moved to Southampton, and I got a job working for an independent record shop, which sadly is no longer with us. It was called Essential Music. They have one in Greenwich. I don't know if you ever went to that one in Greenwich, yeah. but um, they have one in, one in Brighton, one in Bournemouth, one in Southampton, one in Glasgow, I think. Um, and it was a company run by a guy called Neil Williams. 
And that was really my musical education from 21 to 24, where he gave me a job in there. And it was the kind of record shop where you could smoke, you could smoke in there, you know, and we were just, we were assholes, you know, yeah. <laughs> we would just hang out in there and be rude to people all day. Have like Neil had like the best music taste and had filled the shop with like incredible records. And when we had access to that all day long, and we'd be standing there, you know, making sure the record shop ran right and doing good business, but being like arrogant pricks, you know, the whole pure time. high and fidelity. It was, it was, I hate to say it, but it was that thing. You know, like there were moments where like people would bring over like a Chris Weir record or whatever, and you you pick it up like by the corner, like making like, making sure that they oh, you, you didn't like it, and like giving it back, giving it back to them, like, taking their tenor and being like, yeah, all right, mate, if you want to buy that, it's up to you, mate. You know, it was it was really bad. I feel really bad about how we behaved at that time. <laughs> oh, that's shocking. <laughs> but I would really so bad. have done the same. It was really bad, but like, you know, my mate, my, my mate, I'd give a shout to Kevin, who was like the manager, and Neil was the owner, and he was the guy that was giving us all the education by stocking the shop and like lending us books and just like being so incredibly on it. Um, but then Kevin had the attitude, he's from, um, from Falkirk and works in the shop in Glasgow, and his attitude was just full on punk in the shop, you know, and, and, yeah, we were sort of mentored by him. And it was like, yeah, be an arsehole. Have a great time. And was like, okay, great. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the record shop was my, that was home, you know. And um, and I worked in there from 2001. And then at the end of it, I moved to London. And then I got transferred. Actually, actually, no, before then, I worked in Music and Video Exchange in London as well. The first time I moved to London, I worked in Music and Video Exchange for a while. Uh, the record shop that you'll find all over London. Um, and I worked in the one in Notting Hill, and you had to do the test to get into that. To What's the test? That. What's the test? So the test is really bad. It's like high fidelity plus. Like you, they they ask you like hundreds of questions. It's like how many people aren't called um, how many people aren't called Brian in Roxy Music or whatever. It's just like it's it's really like in depth music nerd like really putting you yeah. on the spot. You, have to, you, you go into the shop, and I remember, and then they're like, okay, mate, you have to go and sit upstairs in a quiet room upstairs, and they give you a piece of paper. And you have to answer however many questions it is. I think it's like a hundred questions or, or whatever it is or music. And yeah, to, to pass that, you have to pass the test before getting the job at, at Music and Video Exchange. And, um, and, uh, yeah, and frankly, I passed that. Uh, I did pretty well. And they gave me the job. And I worked in the one in, um, in Notting Hill for, for a while. And then I worked in the one in, in Greenwich. Then I switched to the one in Greenwich, and then all of a sudden I got the transfer because I really wanted to work back at Essential Music because I'd worked in the one in Southampton and um, had enjoyed that so much, and my friends worked there, so I wanted to go back, and they gave me the job back. I went to back to Essential Music, uh, being rude and smoking and getting on everybody's nerves for a long time, and then um, and then sadly they made me redundant, and I took that money, and then I built the studio, and then Cranston's happened a couple of months later. I was going so, to say, this yeah. must have been around the time that the band was starting to sort of come into fruition. Yeah, like, so I, I'd like been having my education and collecting my vinyl collection and my record and my CDs and everything that I sort of grown up with and making that, uh, my collection grow. And then that was like the end of my education. I was like, okay, cool. Well, I've been made redundant. What do I do now? I miss being in a band from when I was a kid. All right, it's time to make a band. And um, yeah, it was like months out of the record shop that I then fought Clarkson's and um yeah. so did that happen uh, quite quickly jamie like yeah, that? It was, yeah it was super quick um so so basically i had um taken the money that i've been given with the redundancy and i've become really good friends with a guy called joe daniel who ran a who ran a record company called angular records and they were 
um, Joe, <clears throat> I'd read about Joe in the NME, and I was like, yeah, this is the this is the guy that I need to be friends with. He he put out um, what was it called? Oh, I wish I could. Remember. I'm sorry, Joe, I can't remember the name of your first compilation, but. Basically, it was it was music from Deptford and, and the cool Sid Block Party were on it, Art Brute were on it, um, and cool music that was coming out of New Cross and Deptford at the time, which is where just around the corner from Greenwich and where we hung out and there was cool stuff going on. Um, and Joe and I had become really good friends. And then he and I, uh, straight with my redundancy money, built a rehearsal space together. Um, there was a, a block where you could take over the building and put offices or whatever you wanted in there. And we decorated it and turned it into a rehearsal space. And um, once that space was up and running, I'd already met uh, some of the Claxons guys over that summer. And then uh, Simon, and then Simon, had, they, then he'd moved to London. And then as soon as he moved to London, it was game on and Claxons happened in like five days. Um, we'd, we'd had the plan we knew what it was going to be and then as soon as we had the space and the time to do it we just got on with it and did it very very quickly and so did you get signed quite quickly um yeah well our first record came out on joe's record label so you know joe was already putting out records by blog party art brute um and a, and a handful of other maybe not sort of the most recognizable but a handful of other other people and we uh, we formed on the 5th of November, which was like bonfire night, because we'd been to a party and then I like, came back to the studio and started making music on that night. Um, and that was in November. And by the time it came to the break for Christmas, and it was all so crazy, like by the time it came to break for Christmas, we did play the show at the 333 in Hoxton. And there'd been people that had come down there from the media and they knew that by the time, it, by the time January was going to come around, that there'd be a lot of interest in us. And Joe put out our first single in March, of the following year, which is already recorded. I, mean, uh, I, think, I can't remember if we recorded that before Christmas or not, but it was very quick. It just went, it was it was instantaneous, pretty much. We, we wrote the songs, the singles were written in the first five days, um, and then we just, it was just getting into studio, recording it, and um, getting out there and doing a handful of shows. Uh, give a shout out to a guy called Kevin, um, at the time who ran a thing called Greenwich Pirate, and there were just parties already going on. There were like somewhere to play, you know. There, um, and there were nights that we could go and play at. The night that we did at Hoxton that I mentioned was run by the Queens of Noise. I don't know if you remember those guys. And everybody was like super, super connected. You know, it felt like there was a connection to already jump into. There was a club scene. Um, and there were people that were putting on club nights all the time that we just, it was already there for us to jump into. And, and, and we did it and everybody sort of liked it. So it, it worked very quickly. Well, that, that, that leads on perfectly um, to uh, track five, which is the song that soundtracked your years uh, in Clubland, Jamie. Yeah, brilliant. Um, well, yeah, it kind of does. But then I think about Clubland and I think about um, before that, because, yeah, it was Clubland, but it, I felt like my kind of second time round at 25. Yeah. Um, when, when I think about clubbing, well, A, the first time round was when I was 14 to 17 in Bournemouth and Southampton. But really, if I think about clubbing, then it was probably like when I was 18 and I, I, I was at university and I um, probably spent more time thinking about how to get into a club or which club to go to rather than actually studying philosophy. Which is what where, where was that? Um, I went to Greenwich University and I was based in Woolwich. Uh, and, it, you know, it's not the nicest place in the world. And it was like I had a lot of fun. It was cool and I loved the course. And I did pretty, I was doing okay on the course, but and I enjoyed it. But really, I was more interested in doing ecstasy and going out to clubs. 
And that was like, yeah, I, I wanted to go to, and I think of clubbing, like I wanted to go to Turnmills basically and um, get involved in the whole big beat thing that was going on in Brighton and and things in, that were going on in London with like John Carter and the Chemical Brothers. Uh, and that was that was the most exciting thing to me when I think about clubbing. What like, would that have been, like the, the, the social and stuff like that? Yeah, the social yeah. I loved, yeah. And, and Turnmills was the one, really, that like uh, had the best nights. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, and that period in time. And I guess the, tra- the reason that I've chosen this track was because I wish I could remember the name of the, the club night, um, but they did it. It was all like skint records and that kind of thing. Um, and I was, I was like, really into the whole like big beat thing. Um, and there was a night put on at the Scala. And I remember going to the Scala on this big beat night. And I'd gone on my own because like, I was so into it. Like, I just didn't care. All I wanted to do was like get high and listen to the music. And um, like, it wasn't important. Like, it was a social thing for me. I was quite happy to like go on my own. And um, one night I'd seen this guy called DJ Punk Rock who I looked up recently and it's sad to see that he died recently which which um yeah you know not respect for that guy and i was sad to find that out um and he had this one track called my beatbox and i remember hearing it in the scala during the big beat explosion and was just like yeah that's the coolest thing i've ever heard in my life and uh yeah yeah that's the one i've chosen so is you a dancer jamie uh in my head <laughs> I think like, I think I can dance like Northern Soul, but like, oh my god, no, I'm quite like a bulky guy, you know. And um, in my head, I'm great, but absolutely not. I mean, I don't think I've even danced for uh, quite a long time. Um, but in my head, I'm really good. Yeah. Would you let yourself yeah. go though when you was dancing? Yeah, definitely. Like back in the day, like I was like watching people. I remember watching like the first thing I remember, I remember coming to London and going to the Wag Club. You remember that place? Of course. Yeah, yeah, the Wag Club. And I'd go there and, like, there was this one guy, like a mod guy. Oh, my God. He'd be upstairs and he would dance in the middle of the dance floor on his own doing the best Northern Soul dancing. Yeah. That's so bizarre you've just said that. Like, he must have worked there or something because every time I went to the Wag, I would stand and watch this guy. That's my experience, mate. We've had some really <laughs> We haven't quite a lot of shared experience. So that mod guy, who, if, who, who, if to trigger your memory, I remember him being in the video for um, Dancing in the Moonlight by Top Loader. Was that him? That's the guy, right? Watch that again, and that is the guy. Because he was a sharp-looking dude, wasn't he? Yeah, he's like a mod guy. Yeah. And he would do the Northern Soul, like, and then he'd do like a Cossack type thing as yeah. well. And um, I just remember that guy being like the coolest guy in London and thinking, okay, wow, how am I going to get to that level? Like, yeah. that guy's absolutely amazing. And, um, <clears throat> and So in your head, that, 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 that's what you look like when you dance? <laughs> exactly, yeah. So once, <laughs> but, um, but nowhere near it. And, uh, yeah, in, in, my, in my head, like, I could dance Northern Soul, but no, I mean, you know, I, I don't think I've got the right shoes for it these days. <laughs> okay. Um, for track six, uh, a favourite uh, song from an artist from your home county. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, giving a lot of shout out to the people from. It's it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a funny one from my home county because Dorset. Um, there are not many bands that sort of came from there. I don't think. Thinking, but there were a lot of there were a lot of um, cool groups when I grew up. There was a, we used to rehearse above a pub called the Thomas Trip in Christchurch, and. Um, there was a band, uh, a sort of a metal band, I guess. They were called Bang Yang, 
And um, they were awesome. I remember watching them very, very young and them being great. But the, but the, but the influential bands, there aren't that many sort of names that came out of Dorset. Um, but during the time that I would go clubbing for, in that period back then, um, a lot of the people that would also go clubbing then ended up moving to London and making groups. So um, from that clubbing time when I was younger, uh, I think it was called the Villa then, or the hot, the hot House turned into a place called the Villa. But other people that would go there um, were Matt Tong from Block Party, um, Eddie Argos from Art Group, um, Nadia Kasaiba, who is the DJ and puts out records on Fantasy with Errol Alkan and those guys, and um, Dan, Daniel Avery, who's like a techno guy, also yeah. on Fantasy. So, so um, we all grew up together in we all grew up together in that part of town. That's a pr- that's a pretty solid gang, right there. It's not bad, right? Yeah. So that's us. Like that, we, we all used, we all used to go clubbing together as kids, um, and we all moved to London. So. You know, those guys were our, that was, we were all sort of part of a scene. It was quite a bigger, bigger, bigger scene in, in, in Bournemouth where we were close friends, but there were lots of us uh, in different sort of smaller groups. But we were all friends from that period. And then everybody had moved to London and, and done their things, but they'd made their bands in London, you know. So it's not as if there were bands from Bournemouth that I can shout out and say that they were the, that they were what were happening then but but they all moved to London and we did our thing in London so it's quite inspirational we all had a youth and then you know moved to London and to, to follow our musical dreams um so the one I've chosen um really is um this Art Brute who were kind of a new cross band in the same way that Claxons were um but Eddie's from Bournemouth so he, he gets the shout out and in their song um formed a band was it's, it's my favorite one it's a fucking incredible yeah. record that yeah, it's a really cool record, isn't it? Yeah, I've been, I've been trying, I've been trying to get Eddie on. We was chatting because um, um, Art Brute were just about to go back out on tour supporting the Subways um, okay. just before lockdown. I, I just had Billy from the Subways on, and I was saying oh, I'd love to uh, get um, Eddie on. And so I was chatting to him, and he was like, "Yeah, because he, he lives in Berlin, I believe, doesn't he?" Or, or, or I think I know that he did a while back. I mean, I haven't spoken to Eddie, and I were very good friends when we were younger, but I haven't spoken yeah. to him for a long time. Um, um, he's a brilliant, brilliant man. But yeah, I heard he did. Yeah, yeah so it was all looking like I was going to get him on. And then obviously this has happened. So uh, yeah, so uh, I'll hit him up and see if he wants to do it over Zoom. But that track, what an amazing record. Yeah, and it really, it was quite, it was influential in the sense that that, that anybody could do it, you know. And, mm. and, and it had come out before Claxons had started. It was like, okay. And, and Joe, who I mentioned that ran Angular Records and I shared the studio with, I don't think he put out that record, but Art Group were the... Um, they were sort of one of the bigger groups on that label. And so, you know, knowing Eddie from growing up back home and then him being really influential in London. And also, I might as well give him a mention for this as well. He, the time that I broke my leg in Claxons and I couldn't do the shows was because we played a show with Art Brute in France. And I'd watched, Eddie was on before us, and I'd watched Eddie climb up a pole and then he decided that he didn't want to do it and he climbed back down. And in my head, and I'd never done anything like on stage before because I play keys and I play bass guitar and I stand in the middle and sing so I don't get a chance for like any like on stage antics but I'd seen him do that and I thought okay cool well I'm going to give it a shot and it was that day that I jumped off the front of the stage and I broke my leg and that was what had happened with us and I had to take the time out and that was because of Eddie as well so you know he's been a big he was there through my musical journey Uh, yeah so he gets the big honourable mention coming from Bournemouth and for someone that um was you know as as, as being a, a a DJ playing you know 
in indie records for want of a better description for the last god knows how many years um you know i'll obviously i played Claxon's records and and it, and and for for someone that's you know interested in in you know movements in music and 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 you know constantly looking for new and exciting bands it felt that things happened you used to become very very you're on the front cover of a lot of magazines and and mm. and you, you were you know you, you were on TV it seemed like it all happened quite quickly so is that a, a fair assumption yeah definitely i mean you know the period that from <clears throat> from forming on november the 5th 2016 to playing the brit awards with brianna in february 2008 that's um that's 16 months yeah that's that's crackers so what i want to ask um is how, how did you you know, how did you cope with that as a person? Was you always, you know, was you confident? Was you a show off? Did you like attention? And and you know, and how, you know, becoming, you know, a, a, you know, a, a famous indie band. Like, how how was that for you? Um, it was absolutely brilliant. I I, I realised my dreams. You know, I felt like I'd been preparing for it for a long time yeah. from like being younger and growing up where I had, having been in bands before growing up in and having some sense of what that could be like and that being my my dream you know it was always my dream to to have to be in that situation so i felt like i've been in training for it for a very yeah. long time um and then when it happened i felt ready to go and ready to for everything that it was that was gonna to to be able to provide for us and um yeah i mean I mean, I don't know. I, I would throw myself under the bus a little bit. Like, I really went for it. I mean, I was out of my mind for quite a long time. Um, sure. I'm sober these days. I'm yeah, sober these yeah. days. And, um, and, but at that time, we were getting really high and being crazy. And the crazier we were, the more people loved it. And, and we, just, we just rode that wave with happiness. You know, we were just like having the best possible time. I felt like it was my job to have the best possible time to show anybody that if they wanted to be in a band and they wanted to have the best possible time, they could do it. And so that was how I felt every day when I woke up. I was just like, I need to show people that this is the most fun you can possibly have and look at us doing it. And yes, you can go and do it yourself. So yeah, I mean, I, I felt ready. I was up for it. And I was just like having the best time ever. <laughs> really, yeah. Wow, what a wonderful answer. Yeah, frankly. Last track, Jamie. You get to play DJ now, and um, and I'm going to ask you to um, pick a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. That's a good question. Um, why am I going to have to like? So we're on the Zoom. Right? You're on my phone, and it means that I can't look at my phone to tell you because I'm going to get the name of this band wrong. I, I, and, I've got and, it. And, I've got it on my phone here, so we can. And uh, it's like, and it's like I was saying before. You know, like if you answer me that question. Um, today i'll probably give you a different answer to the one that yeah. i sent you a couple of days ago okay um so can i ask you can i ask you a favor and, you... and, and that's what it is <laughs> you went for uh, going to make a time machine by yeah. majestic arrows okay majestic arrows good that's good yeah so i um it's it's i'd heard it on the day that you asked me and i was just like yeah this is the coolest thing that i've i've heard um recently uh and it's kind of got that soul feel which i northern soul feel which I've been uh, really into during lockdown because it's like the happiest music. The it's most joyous, music. isn't like, it? Yeah, it's just so, like, I've, I've really craved, I've, like, music has been really, um, the first three weeks of lockdown, I couldn't listen to music at all. 
And then as soon as I got to the point where I was like, yeah, okay, I'm ready to listen to music again, all of a sudden, like, loads of really cool stuff started coming to me that I'd never heard before. And, um, and I hadn't heard the song that I've chosen before um, up until a couple of days ago. And, and it's just my favourite of, of um, some of the sort of soul music I've been listening to lately that's really kind of helped me through lockdown. So I guess for that reason, I wanted to to share it with other people. So you, you, you've gone for um, Majestic Arrows, which you said you heard on the day. And so what I want to ask you is, are you, are you one of those people that when you discover a new record and you like it, mm. do you listen to it over and over and over again? Yeah. It's, I mean, if I really fall in love with something, I'll hammer it until I can't stand it anymore and then go back to it a little while later. Do you um, deconstruct yeah. it? Do you, do you deconstruct it as a musician? Do you deconstruct it and work out, you know, the, the, oh. you know how it's put together and, and do you yeah, draw from things disease. like that? Yeah, I think I've got a disease. But I, can't <laughs> listen to, I can't listen to anything without knowing how it was made, what the instruments are, yeah. what the structural changes of the song are, how it's... And I'm always looking for something, like a way a song has worked that I've never heard a song work before and then I want to steal a little idea of how things are done I mean yeah I, my, it's a massive problem in the same way that it is me listening to songs and thinking about the radio of yeah. me listening to music and fully trying to I'm not trying to understand but just by hearing it I'm like I know how that works and yeah and, and I wish I could turn that part of my brain off because yeah. it takes away some of the enjoyment I think I'm, I wish I could have the sort of non-songwriter's experience and listening to music sometimes so when this this lockdown business subsides and uh, a new normality resumes, um, what what you got coming up? What's what's day to day going to be for Jamie? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I've I took a job as a songwriter uh, a year or so ago, and I'm working for a company called Various Artist Management, run by a guy called Dave Bianchi, and there's a lot of. Uh, cool artists on the management company. Um, Tom Grennan's on there. Ash Nico's on there. He looks after the Libertine, Spiritualized, Supergrass. Um, and there's tons of really cool artists that are on the same management company. And I've been working for them for a year as a songwriter. Um, I've written songs with a lot of the um, artists that are there, and I've got some songs coming out soon. Um, but my main thing that I've been doing for the company is working for this guy called Daniel Briskin. Um, he's an 18-year-old guy that I worked with between March and September. And we made a record together that was then picked up by Virgin Records. And it's um, amazingly, he's been picked up by the same team, a guy called Ben Palmer, who is uh, head, one of the heads of Virgin over there underneath Ted Cockles, who um, has picked up Daniel Briskin and has signed him to, to Virgin. And the, uh, the first record that we've made together is due to come out uh, at some point in the near, not too distant future. I can't like, give an exact date, but that record that we made between March and September, uh, we went down to Margate to make at the Libertine studio down in Margate in February, just before lockdown. And we finished that record there, and that's due to come out in the not too distant future. So that's really exciting to know that we're still going to run with that even during lockdown. Yeah. Um, and then as soon as things start easing up a bit, um, Daniel and I, since signing to Virgin, they plugged us into other songwriters in the country, uh, in London uh, and around. We did a bit of traveling and we uh, wrote another huge batch of songs together um, that a potential second project for Daniel. And as soon as we can um, sort of ease up a bit on the social distancing, then we're going to go into the studio and finish up a second project for him, um, which 
I'm very excited about. You know, I got off a phone call to the record company before talking to you this morning, and everyone's really excited about him. So yeah, he's my he's my main thing, my main artist that I work with, and I love him to bits. He's 18 years old, and he's a phenomenal talent, and um, we're very very excited to sort of give that to the world. Has, is um, there anything on what, Spotify currently from him? Um, there is something you can check out at the moment, but I, uh, I think that we'll see. I think it's just, I think it's worth waiting a minute and waiting okay. a minute and seeing what it is we've been working on. And um, the kid is just, he's just phenomenal. Um, it, I listened to it, I got the masters through uh, last week and I listened to it in the studio loud and I cried after listening to it. The kid, he's just phenomenal. Wow. And um, yeah, that, that's my main thing. Um, I've been working on some other bits and bobs. Uh, nothing that I want to shout about as yet because uh, I'm being secretive. And yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm writing songs, you know, and I'm very, I'm very, I'm, I'm back at work. And I'm looking forward to being able to hang out with people again. And it, it's going to be, it's, it's a funny one to navigate where, when people can, you know, because for me going to work, I would just, it would just, if I was writing a song with you, it would just be me and you in a room. Yeah. You know, it's a funny one to navigate, isn't it? Because in many ways, I was working for a bigger company we, we would go and do that and, sure. and so yeah I mean the future is waiting to figure out when everybody's comfortable and sort of allowed to go back into a studio together and um yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna crack on writing songs and and, and um looking forward to getting into the next phase of my songwriting decision yeah wonderful well best of luck with that and and thank you so much for giving up your time today Jamie I've, I've absolutely loved chatting to you yeah, me too, mate. It's been, thank you very much for letting me be honest. And tell, I've told you lots of stuff that I didn't think would ever come out of my mouth. It's been great. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you very much, mate. All right, mate. Great. Good stuff. Thank you. There you go. Oh, what a great chat. I'd never met, as, as I've touched on at the beginning, I'd never met Jamie before. And what a smashing dude. It was a, a really lovely chat. And, uh, and I look forward to, well, I look forward, like everyone else, to this uh, pandemic being uh, done and dusted and, and normality to resume. And, uh, and I look forward to catching up with uh, Jamie and having a nice cup of tea because he was um, an absolute, absolute cracker of a guest. Um, as I said at the beginning, if you can subscribe, that really does help this podcast. Um, and if you want to help even more, aside from listening and having a route around in the, the archives, then um, I do have a Patreon page and you can uh, get access to loads of other episodes over there and support the podcast. Um, you can find out about everything at offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. That's me done. I'm back next week with another episode. Thanks again for listening. Um, stay safe and see you soon. Bye-bye. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing, www.sosclothing.co.uk. Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable, and water based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, 
They've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track Podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.